in between episode seven, healthcare, the third wave. What's critical for pharma strategy? Today, I speak with Dave Dirk, my Aventria Health Group co-president. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Steve Case, the co-founder of AOL, recently wrote a book. And in the book, he said that we are entering the third wave, as he calls it, of the digital revolution. He said that he actually himself was a pioneer in the so-called first wave when he founded America Online in 1985. In the first wave, it started with only about 3% of the people being online for an hour a week because everyone was on dial-up. Then the second wave has been companies like Facebook and Google that really expanded the internet with search and social networking capabilities. This third wave that Case is now talking about He says that we now must integrate the internet into, quote, every aspect of our lives. And he specifically calls out healthcare and education. What he says is that getting the third wave of digital into healthcare is going to be a challenge. And he cites three critical success factors. Those three success factors are policy, perseverance, and partnerships. Today, I have Dave Dirk, who is one of my partners and co-president over at Aventria Health Group. And we're going to discuss the three success factors that Steve Case has mentioned and talk about this in the context of, in particular, the pharmaceutical industry. Do we think that they embrace these three success factors? And if so, how ready are they to take up the challenge? My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I think this is your first time. It is, and it's very exciting. Let's talk about the three success factors that Steve Case has teed up. First is policy. The second one is partners. And then the third one is perseverance. Policy. So I'll start. I feel like You know the law of unintended consequences? I feel like policy is probably another name or a beacon for the law of unintended consequences and fluorescent technicolor. I don't think anyone deliberately built FFS to reward hospitals for infecting patients with HAI and then treating them. I don't think the point of meaningful use was, for example, paying providers to codify how to maximize fee-for-service reimbursement, which many EHR systems have worked out. For example, the more body parts you examine, you get paid more. So a lot of the EHR systems have built in these templated notes that include multiple body parts. So for example, it'll say lungs are clear, heart's steady, arms and legs are free of tingling. And then what's being encouraged is that a provider selects that note. As soon as the billing sees that, it sees eight body parts examined and fee-for-service reimbursement is maximized through the use of technology, which was installed vis-a-vis the meaningful use policy. Then there's just so much stuff that's going on right now that we could probably talk about. 
We've got macro that was just announced. We've got bundled payments and all these various payment models. It'll be interesting to see what the intended, I don't even think we figured out what the intended consequences are, let alone the unintended. So relative to pharma, it's going to be interesting to see how the pharmaceutical industry, for one, chooses to or is able to swim in these new waters, which are starting to shift based on implications of policy? When I think about it, I think of it in two ways. The first is to understand where the market is going and who's driving that. And for our company and our business, we have watched carefully CMS because they're the country and the world's largest payer. And as goes CMS, goes the commercial business and others. And if you track where they're trying to take healthcare payment and use payment as a driver of management, then you can predict where the market is going, albeit there might be fits and starts. The second point is that no policy is static or stagnant. There's always unintended consequences, and there's always then adjustments and readjustments relative to trying to optimize the journey. And so if you understand where the market is going and you recognize that there's going to be adjustments, then the only thing you need to lay into that is your timing and your runway. So what do you care about? Do you care about the next 12 months or do you care about the next 12 years? And you can plan accordingly to determine how you act. So the overused Wayne Gretzky skate to where the puck is going to be is the optimal driver of how you determine your own behavior. If you want to maximize what's happening today, then you understand where the market is right now and try to leverage that. Or if you care about a longer runway, then you try to predict where it's going to be and get yourself in a good position so that when it gets there, you become the market leader and have greatest success. This is what I think is interesting. What I think is interesting is that always in the healthcare industry before, let me start with this. Probably the best statement I ever heard anyone make at an ad board. <laughs> it was an ad board of provider business leaders. And one of the guys said, he's like, look, it all boils down to this. If you pay me, we'll do it. But always in the past, there's been one payment model. So if you're trying to predict where the future was going to go or how any given organization would behave, you pretty much had a pretty long historical evidence such that you could predict what their behavior was going to be moving forward within that payment model, given that whatever the payment model is, whatever the incentive is to do something, that tends to be what people are going to do. But now, talk to any given institution, the way that they feel like they're being paid could be wildly different from the institution down the street. In other words, some are FFS holdouts, some are bundled payments or part of some shared savings pilot. You've got the disrupts, you know, all the the stuff that Medicaid is doing, value-based payment modifiers, which some people think are a big deal and other people don't even pay any attention to. So I almost start wondering now, like, maybe there's a different sort of stratification or customer segmentation that's necessary that's based on what the payment model is. What do you think about that, Dave? Well, I think there's no question that there is a multitude of payment models and that different organizations are choosing how they blend those payment models. But if you look at the market leaders, 
I think this is a bit of a chicken and egg scenario, but the market leaders are advancing new payment models and the laggards are trying to hold on to the previous ones. Now, maybe the laggards don't have the wherewithal to reorganize their organization and maybe the leaders do have the wherewithal, but there are market shifts that are underway and and there's market expansion from regional providers that is rampant in the industry right now. And it's not the laggards that are pushing the market expansion. It is the market leaders who are doing it. And so I think it comes down to, do you have a short-term or long-term strategy? Are you able to execute against a long-term strategy or are you only managing to the next quarter? And if you're only managing to the next quarter, I think that is a scary proposition because I think the direction of the market continues to gain momentum relative to value-based purchasing models, data relative to outcomes and performance, and coordination of care and community-based care. So I think it's a really exciting time to be in this business. It's very challenging. But if we look at the three attributes that we started this call with, which were policy, perseverance, and partnerships, I think that's hugely relevant because you can't do it all on your own because digital healthcare in every aspect is growing and change is the norm. So the trick, I think, is to continue to evolve, to stay competitive, and to be in a good position for where the market is going over the next five to 10 years. I think the horse is out of the barn. And relative to digital healthcare, relative to value-based purchasing, and irrespective of the court cases relative to the Affordable Care Act, I think this is the direction that we'll be in going forward. And if you're not pushing that envelope, then I think others are going to be taking advantage of opportunity that you're leaving on the table. Yeah, and I would agree that there's also a continuum for not only the providers, and to some extent payers in the marketplace, how there's those on the vanguard and then there's laggards. I think also within any industry player, you're going to see the same thing. In other words, I mean, we work every day with pharma companies who are charging forward and then we work with others who are still very much embracing business models and and thinking from a couple of years ago. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So not to make this conversation totally unruly, we were talking about policy. And the third success factor that Steve Case mentioned was perseverance. One of the things that you said just struck me about the need to think a little bit beyond the quarter, to have a strategy that maybe is phased. So phase one happens this quarter, but there's a longer term vision. And that has been strikingly difficult from a pharma standpoint. Pharma is kind of notorious for this. I mean, you you talk to any provider organization and this will come up as one of their initial questions, which is basically, how long is this program going to last? Because they've just had the rug pulled out from them so many times where they have implemented some sort of pharmaceutical above the brand or whatever you want to call it program. And then six months later, pharma has pivoted or come up with a new strategy or whatever, and the program is taken away. And the provider is the one that winds up with this now empty need that they had previously 
still they've promised their people or done whatever internal changes they needed to make in order to accommodate that program. They were using it and all of a sudden it's gone. You've got pharma like every budget period, every reorg, which as we all know is not an infrequent occurrence these days, or whenever somebody gets promoted, whenever the champion of a program gets promoted or changes jobs and somebody new takes the, their place, then pharma has a definite reputation for switching it up. I mean, it's a very fundamental cultural as well as institutional phenomenon. My head is spinning relative to whether that is something which is going to be an, a bigger impediment moving forward. I think that goes right to what I was saying earlier, which is if you have a forward-looking strategy that defines a time period beyond the next quarter or two, then irrespective of personnel changes, the opportunity is for the organization to continue to pursue and build upon that direction, which is defined by the strategy. And so... But that's going to have to come from senior leadership. You know, somebody upstairs is going to need to say, all right, people, this is the direction we're going in. That's exactly right. And that's what it's all about, that there has to be organizational vision, commitment, determination, and activity to pursue those objectives. And that's the opportunity. And some have done it well, and many others have not. And I believe those who've done it well have been rewarded for that in both tangible and intangible ways. And, and those intangible ways include what you were talking about, which is long-term sustained relationships and partnerships and collaboration among customers and partners within the community so that they can optimize opportunities as they come. And I just want to offer one perspective on that. You know, the question is, do you serve an immediate need and immediate performance, or do you build value over time so that when new opportunities emerge, that you can maximize those new opportunities down the road while at the same time performing well today. What you don't want to do, in my opinion, is maximize today's performance at the expense of tomorrow's performance. And I've seen that mistake made on many occasions, but our more enlightened clients and frankly, higher performing companies share with us their desire and their intent to position the organization for growth over the next five to 10 years. And that, I think, is an optimal approach as opposed to sacrificing down the road to maximize the immediate presence. Yeah, I heard the term reputation strategy coined, which describes, I think, what exactly what you're talking about, making sure that a short-term gain doesn't diminish an overall reputation in the marketplace. And there's been a number of examples of that lately, you know, with pricing strategies, which great, you make a quick buck and your shareholders are happy for, I don't know, four months. <laughs> but then it diminishes your ability to launch another brand in the portfolio because now you've made a whole bunch of enemies in the process or no one trusts you. Exactly, Stacey. And, and those enemies and that distrust happens to be among the organizations and people that you need to work with going forward. So it's not as if those negative outcomes are irrelevant because they are highly relevant as it relates to your ongoing concern and your future. Let me ask you this, Dave. There are obviously 
many organizations where you're only as good as your market share last quarter. And what we're talking about now is the partner's aspect, the partner's success factor here. And you said something that was interesting about that. What is the value of a long-term sustained partnership? And that's something that is we hear all the time. What is the value here? What good is having partnerships within the industry? What does that get me? What's the measurable ROI from having a partnership with any given provider organization or pay organization or PBM or any of these other organizational stakeholders in the marketplace? Like, I don't see the share that's coming from that. What do you think about that? Thanks for asking. I love that question. And that's what I want to share from my point of view. In the last couple of months, there have been two emerging dynamics that are related. And so one is the CMS's launch of the Comprehensive Primary Care Plus program. And the other is the initiation of the comprehensive core measures from a quality metric point of view. And the point is that both have the term comprehensive in them. And going back to earlier comments about uh, the national quality strategy, which is what CMS is working with, that partnerships are being heavily encouraged as we go forward to ensure optimized care across the entire patient journey. And so I believe that it is an inevitable determined outcome that differing stakeholders find ways to work together to ensure, and that includes pharma, it includes providers, and it includes payers, that the real opportunity is for them to work together to ensure optimized patient outcomes, which will realize the triple aim of saving money, improving population health, and improving patient experience. And that's how we look at it at Adventria, that if we can find ways to realize those three objectives, then everybody wins. And for those who are not looking at it that way, then they might be missing a valuable long-term opportunity. And, and so the partner's function is key because if you have a patient who gets great care in the hospital, they get discharged to subacute or to home care and everything goes bad from there to a limited degree today and to a greater degree tomorrow, everybody is going to be held accountable. And so you can't do it all yourself. Some organizations do, but most don't. And if we break down barriers and find ways to work toward the same goals and objectives, or put in another way, comprehensive goals and objectives, then those organizations are going to win. And I think the more that the policy and the industry is rewarded for outcomes, the more important partnerships are because you can't achieve an outcome alone. And for example, no drug on the planet just sitting on a shelf is going to deliver any outcome at all. Any pharmaceutical intervention or any intervention at all is definitely part of a larger whole. And unless you've got all of the bits and pieces that support it, it's simply not going to 
get you anywhere fast. And, you know, and it's interesting that a lot of I mean, even the, the, the technology incentives these days are to coordinate care and to systematize and codify partnerships are, are being built in. For example, chronic care management, CCM, a requirement of that is that you must have interoperable technology. You can't just be faxing stuff around. You have to have technology that integrates. And there's a bunch of stuff also that's being done relative to hospital discharges. There's a big push to connect local ambulatory practices, hook up the technology so that when a patient is released, the receiving, you need to make sure that you have a PCP visit within seven days or 14 days. And that is being heavily incented in order to make that happen. Obviously, you need the technology hookups. But I'm glad that you Dave, let me give the Billy Townsend quote. If you don't have a seat at the table, consider yourself on the menu. So, (laughs) you know, the other really big advantage of having a long-term partnership, you become a party to and a participant in the decisions and the go-forward plan of the partners that you're working with, that you can figure out how you're going to work together and come up with mutually productive solutions, which benefit everybody. As opposed to you've got your biggest customers or the people that you really need to make sure are pulling through your product or that you have access to because they control a number of patient lives or they have the ability to really impact your business. If we really need to make sure that we're having conversations with them so that as we figure out what our go forward plans are and and processes are and strategies are, that we're making those things together as opposed to being acted upon. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And again, the quality metrics that are evolving and that are driving bonus payments and higher rates of reimbursement, and conversely, those that are missed that have penalties or restrictions associated with them, are increasingly being defined as with greater outcomes orientation and with less process orientation. So just because you do the right things doesn't on an incident basis doesn't mean that you're going to perform well in the quality metrics that you're increasingly reliant on everyone upstream and everyone downstream to also ensure that they too are doing the right things so that you have consistent optimized care, optimized outcomes, cost savings where they can be realized uh, and a positive patient experience. And then you're receiving bonuses and incentives and higher reimbursement rates and avoiding penalties that can be costly. So I think it's increasingly less of an optional choice to work with partners across the care continuum. And I think it is increasingly becoming a mandatory element of high-performing organizations. So from my point of view, I think that's really an exciting opportunity for all of us in this industry as we're in the midst of this evolution. And I think it's really rewarding to find ways to resolve it and improve patient care in a meaningful way. So it's happening right before us. And and, uh, I think it's kind of fun to be in the midst of it. Yeah, it's almost like what partnerships get you is a mutually beneficial system. 
it's a codified way to work together that's mutually beneficial. And if you don't have that relationship and partnership, then kind of what you wind up doing is skirting around the edges, trying to figure out how you're going to pick up whatever you can out of an established system that you're not a part of. Maybe that's one way to look at it. Absolutely. All right. We have just spent the past 20 minutes discussing Steve Case's postulization that policy partners and perseverance are the success factors moving forward. I'd say he's onto something. What do you think? I totally think he's onto something. I'm fully supportive of what he has reflected here. The only obvious thing that I would also add is change, that this is a rapidly evolving marketplace. We have a sea change happening every two months. And so I think all of us need to be committed to evolution and strategy. I was talking to a leader at a uh, nearby health system, and he was talking about his commitment to developing a new uh, executive role within the health system that was a chief strategic officer. And we know that that new title is emerging And I think it is wholly appropriate and it is becoming a core element to high performing organizations that you need to see where the market's going. You need to develop a plan that enables you to be both successful today and tomorrow. And that is being able to understand both external policies and then allowing that to influence your internal policies. This is a journey. It's not a destination. So that speaks to the perseverance. And you can't do it alone. It's too complex. They're deliberately, they meaning CMS and and others, are deliberately broadening the scope. And so I think partnerships are absolutely required to adequately address the broader scope that is being pushed down on all of us appropriately so. I like that you brought up strategy because I think that's another interesting shift that probably we all should start keeping an eye on, that for a long time in this industry, strategy has been sort of this invisible vestigial arm, which is completely overshadowed by tactics. You know, like, what are you doing? What does it look like? Show me the thing. And what's starting to happen is strategy is kind of creeping from the shadows and becoming something which is not this kind of intellectual nice to have, but something which is going to start to be, if not, and and I say starts, probably not the right word because it's, uh, as you said, the horse has left the barn. It's going to be something that is a requirement and and it's going to separate the winners from the also rans. Agreed. Thank you so much for participating in this in between a zone, Dave. Stacy, it's my pleasure. Thanks for including me. And I enjoyed hearing your insights and, and having an opportunity to share mine. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, relentlesshealthvalue.com, you will also find a complete listing of All of the shows that we have published thus far, there are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.